0: Welcome back once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast as we pull out a monthly reviews show. This is where we condense down all the books that we enjoyed from a certain month. We're a little bit behind at the moment, but playing proper catch up. This is going to be covering the April releases from 2023. Your host is always Alan from Coffee and Heroes in Belfast and joined as ever this evening by Mr. Keith Miller a day before he goes on holiday making sure he's uh, here to give you all the latest comic reviews or semi-latest comic reviews <laughs> sure i wouldn't miss it <laughs> uh how are things things are good things are good i mean we're back recording in the same room again we just had a nice pizza uh some Declan shelby sponsored magners in hand mm-hmm. so it's uh is it's Declan a good... buying your magners though? i wish he was bad i mean he makes enough money you know all mm. that old dog money must be you know It's a a great series though. It is a very good series, series. you know, and uh, we love to see it doing as well as it is. But uh, yeah, no, it's just, this is our uh, April review show. We obviously condense down the months into five picks from that month and uh, go through that. The good thing is this month, I mean, the good thing is this month, Keith has actually, um, I've read everything Keith's going to review. You haven't read a lot of it i forgot, No, I know. I'm sorry. It's up to me to convince you here what this is <laughs> well, going to ex- be about. That's exactly it. That's exactly <laughs> it. How are things in the store? Store's good. Store's good. I mean, obviously, we're, we're going back to April here, but quite a lot's happened since. You know, we've had Free Comic Book Day, which is always our busiest day of the year. Uh, was uh, And that was definitely the case again this year, yep. our most successful day since having the business. So that was great. Uh, some new so faces the most successful votes. day since coffee and heroes opened since six years ago six years ago exactly yeah wow. so that was another thing that has happened uh we're recording this on the 7th of june on the 1st of june the store turned six so it's in primary school mm-hmm. uh and doing well doing you know still new people walking through the door which is great all the old regulars old regulars it's interesting having a business that's open long enough to say our old regulars mm, yeah absolutely yeah. we've known each other
1: Six years, I think, really, as well. Keith and I were both in our thirties when Coffee and Hair was <laughs> open. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere deeper into our thirties than others, but uh... <laughs> but still in our thirties. Yeah, absolutely. And
0: as we record this now, we're both in our forties.
1: But... uh Any changes? Uh, you changing anything around?
0: Yeah, you... bits and pieces. You know, you know me. I can't sit still. You know, new shelves have went up. New displays have went up. We're starting to get in a bigger range of uh, more expensive items now. We're starting to get in some hot toys. Uh, we've mm. had a few new ones in the last wee while. I've actually I took a delivery today. of have a couple of new ones as well. Uh, omnibus sections increasing. You know, it's uh, you know if you if you listen to our previews podcast, for example, you'll you'll notice omnibuses are starting to creep on there a bit more yeah. as we both enjoy the format a yes, bit more. Yes,
1: I've definitely been enjoying the format a little bit more. Um, there's a few coming up that I'd like to uh, I'd like to pick up. Um, did I pick up any in the month of? Uh, April, I don't think it did, but I went a wee bit mad in May, but we'll talk about that whenever <laughs> May comes around, I suppose. Yeah, we'll uh, definitely definitely get on to that. No, so no, I did. I picked up all of Spider-Man Volume 2 in, in oh, April. What, yeah. a,
0: what a volume it was, you know, that just made the wait for Volume 3 that bit more oh, unbearable. Yeah, yeah and I,
1: I mean, I, I mentioned that I have been, well, I mean, I suppose the pull lists, I've just been a wee bit more careful of recent times and had the time, uh, so I've been getting into some of those, some of those, uh, those Omnis. Um, Gideon, Fall, I had, Gideon, Gideon Falls I had sitting for a long time mm-hmm. and I finally pulled the plastic off and got around to reading it So, uh, volume 2 was bought quick sharpish yes indeed it was I'll
0: look forward to getting into that So you're trimming that pull list you're just trimming things that I'm reading
1: is what we're about to learn well yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we just got on there's actually a few in your pull list that I think I was sort of going I'll maybe wait until they come out and trade yeah that's fair um, you know uh, I suppose it's the uh, I mean it's not it's not as a comic fan, it's not a direction that I like to go. Uh, I prefer, I mean, I, I think you the, pick up more than enough singles to Well, yeah, it. I think, I think, I mean, the, the industry is built on singles, really, you know, that's mm-hmm. where the, uh, that's where the important, the, the important uh, stuff lies, you know, and that's where whenever we pick those up, we ensure that those series or maybe there's a better chance they'll continue. Yeah. And they'll make it to trade, uh, as was uh, not the case with, for example, great titles like, uh, you know, John Constantine, Hellblazer, uh, those sorts of things. But, uh, yeah, so so yeah, I think uh, you know before we start talking about Omnibus, we should definitely counsel that for both the local comic <laughs> book store and the comic industry in general, picking up singles is the way forward. But hence, that's uh, why we review singles and not albums. That is, that is right. Um, and if, and, uh obviously, you don't get to the cinema as much as you used to, but uh, have you have you been watching anything of late that's been? Uh, I'm not sure I should talk about Eternals. Oh, that movie was not good. You did not like it. Oh, uh, my goodness. No, you did take a long time to get around to watch it. it's a couple of uh, years old.
0: I I almost took an eternity to get around to watching it, and <laughs> I wish I had taken longer and not watched <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, I mean, Marvel Phase 4 has been very uneven. I think most people will agree on that. that. was Phase 3, was it? Uh, no, it's Phase 4. Was it phase so four? the first three phases of what makes your Infinity yes, and of of Saga, yeah, yeah, yeah. which was perfectly planned, perfectly executed over a decade period. And I think Marvel and Kevin Figure they've just been searching around a little bit for what direction to go in after that. And I think I think it's fair to say phase four's been quite uneven, you know. Our our dislike for Thor Love and Thunder I think is very well been well documented, documented at yeah. this point. But you know, I love Black Widow, I love Shang-Chi, yeah. I really enjoyed Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, uh Spider-Man I think No Way Home qualifies as phase four. But Eternals was one for whatever reason I just hadn't got round to watching. Mm-hmm. Um I mean I, I bought it in 4K, it's it's in there in the collection because you gotta have them all. I'm going to have to buy Thor Love and Thunder soon, which
1: is really depressing. I, uh, I haven't really bought anything on, on Blu-ray since, uh, since I moved to the, to the new house. So I did, well, have a wee bit of catching up to do with regard to, to purchasing. I like having a physical collection. I agree. And I mean, whenever you see this week, you know, Netflix have been pulling stuff off and Disney have been pulling stuff off, yeah. you know, that's the problem with the subscription model is that, you know, whenever those things disappear, you can no longer watch them. They may disappear for you know? good, yeah. Exactly, you know, so... So, yeah, I do I do still value. That's just you and I maybe being a little bit older. Uh, yeah, perhaps, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. But I I just like a physical collection, you know. So um,
0: so I collect all the Marvel movies. I collect all the DC yeah. movies, et cetera, et cetera. So I'd already bought Eternals. And it was kind of funny because Vicky's a big Black Panther fan and we still haven't watched, you know, Wakanda forever. Uh-huh. So I was about to put it on. And Vicky said to me, should we not watch Eternals? And I was she like... She makes a good point. Well, I was sort of like, I want to watch Black Panther though. And she went... You really don't want to watch Eternal? So I was like, "Fine, let's put it on." Uh, and I thought it started okay, but I mean, this again, this is just one guy's opinion, and I will talk about it in my own situation, like the podcast or in store. Mm-hmm. I'm never the kind of person that goes online and trashes stuff, and uh-huh. it's just not my my mo. But I just didn't think it was very well made. I thought that I thought the acting was bad. I thought it was badly written. I thought the effects were not great on the deviants and so forth. I thought there was a lot of logic gaps in it. Um, I just really struggled with it, and mm. I went into it with a very open mind because yeah. I thought yep. the I thought the opening on the beach, with the uh, sort of like the you know prehistoric times when the Eternals arrive and stuff, I thought was actually pretty pretty decent start. But it's just you look back at the Jack Kirby Eternals and you see all this imagination and all this color, uh-huh. you know, and that was that was obvious from the start you know the ship in Jack Kirby's Eternals is like all this bells and whistles and colourful and all this otherworldly design and
1: then in the movie it was just this flat boring looking though I mean there were some Kirby-esque designs in it as well um, it's been a long time since I watched it I mean it, uh, that's something in itself I haven't rewatched it yeah um, I haven't bought it yet uh, I mean I suppose I can wait for a wee while till these Blu-rays get in a price you can get them three for a ten or whatever that's <laughs> what I'm holding out for Thor on. but uh Yeah, I mean, on the other side of things, uh, I did see Guardians Volume 3, which I know you haven't seen yet. No. Uh, Very, very good. Uh, Very
0: enjoyable. Um, I need to carve out time to get to the cinema, so Alfie's approaching one. And uh, over the next couple of months, I do want to see Guardians still. Mm -hmm. I want to see Across the Uh Spider-Verse. I want to see Oppenheimer. I want to see Mm -hmm. Mission Impossible. I want to see The Flash. There's a lot coming up over the next month or two, I think, that looks really exciting. Not just comic book related,
1: but oh. movie related as well. But uh, Guardians is more than worth it, does Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. There's some interesting MCU takes on some established characters, which were a wee bit different. You know, they were in the tone and theme of Guardians, mm-hmm. the, the way that those characters are in the mainline Marvel universe may not necessarily have suited that tone. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm happy enough. They're not characters that I was particularly, I'm a particularly attached to. So I'm all, I'm all good with it. But yeah, I mean the, all the, all the greats are there. It definitely felt like obviously with James Gunn buying out and heading over DC side, Mm -hmm. uh, that it was the, the end of a thing, you know, which is sad to see, uh, in a way, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Where does it stand in your trilogies and Marvel movies? Um, so we but uneven. Uh, Guardians, Guardians Volume Two was one that, whenever I watched it at the cinema, I was like, "Ooh," and then whenever I watched it back again, I was like, "Oh, that was alright."
0: I think part of that is expectations. I think Guardians One had zero expectations, yeah. and then blew everyone away. Yes, but because it blew everyone away, expectations were sky high yes. for the sequel, yeah, and yeah, yeah.
1: when it was just okay, it was that felt disappointing. Yeah, and, and actually, it wasn't just okay. It was a good movie. Now I say whenever I watched it again. Um, so I mean, it wouldn't be up there, for example, with you know Cap. Um, but Cap still takes it for me. Yeah. I I had such high hopes
0: for Quantum Mania because I love the first yeah. two Ant Man movies, but Quantum Mania was fun and entertaining. But yes, it was. Yes. W- it was what the other two Ant Man movies weren't, in my opinion, which is forgettable.
1: Uh-huh. I just I just thought it came uh, and went. I've been I've been actually enjoying watching some movies that aren't. Uh, comic related. Keith this uh, is a comic podcast. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> this is marginally comic related because M. Night Shyamalan directed the greatest uh, comic book movie that never was, True and Unbreakable. But I watched all the one that was uh, that came out in a to, to very soft sort of reception during mm-hmm. COVID. Um, and they put it on Netflix, and uh, I sat and watched it of an evening. It was really interesting. It was good. I quite enjoyed it. It was there were some really dark moments in it. Mm-hmm. Um. But it was a very, it was a very enjoyable movie, um, and uh, I also watched uh, Weird, the Al Yankovic story, which was talk about two polar opposite movies. It was very, very good. Is Daniel Radcliffe, Daniel Radcliffe, who plays a great role. That that guy has become a really great actor. Yeah. Um, and it's told from Al's point of view, so you're never sure what is true and what is not. Uh, you know, for example, a good deal of the movie, Madonna is his girlfriend. <laughs> That was just, uh, it was just really, really entertaining. Um, I've watched my way through all but the final John Wick movie. Yeah, well, same. So I've uh, been enjoying those. Um, TV wise, we're all caught up on uh, on uh, the Mandalorian and uh, and all the various genre shows. Picard season three just finished fantastically. It was just a very the strongest series of that that show, and it really kicked off my re-kicked off my love of Star Trek Um, so um, so now you're watching everything all again yes I'm now as far as the middle of uh, Voyager Uh, so I'm really I'm really enjoying that Um, but Bruno and I are I'm watching I'm I'm re-watching and Bruno's watching for the first time Deadwood uh, which is just such a good show I mean I know you're quite a fan of the the Western genre as well, um, with some of the stuff we've been reading of late. I struggled uh, at first, just seeing Lovejoy swear so much. Well, yeah, absolutely. But but then he grows into it, all <laughs> swearing, you know. Yeah. Uh So such a such a good show, such a good show, um, right up there in the golden age of, of TV. Alongside, yeah, that was very Soprano's Empire, era, wasn't the it? Sopranos and that, you know. So, so yeah. So that's and of course we're gearing up. We're rewatching the previous season of Brooklyn Nine Nine because they've just put the final season. Final seasons. Yeah, yeah, I so, mean.
0: We, we restarted Brooklyn Nine-Nine again about three days ago from the very start. Uh, yeah, I mean, TV-wise for us, I mean, Ted Lasso came to an end there. Mm-hmm. It just ended so, so well. It's, you know, it, it, it keeps being referred to as like chicken soup for the soul type mm-hmm. TV. And I think that's that's the case. You know, this was a, a show that came along during lockdown. The world was a bit of a darker place, a bit of a lonelier place. There wasn't a lot of human interaction. And Ted Lasso is very much a feel-good, old-fashioned show in that regard. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to like football to enjoy it. That's just a secondary thing. Uh, so we finished that. Uh, I've got back into my Naruto watching. I'm now about oh, 50 yes. episodes from the end. Uh-huh. See, when I'm looking after Alfie, the thing is, I can watch stuff, but I nine times out of ten I can't hear it because he's discovered his voice. Right. So having something with uh, uh, the original voice acting but with subtitles... Perfect. So I'm able to blast my way through that, which is good. So enjoying that as well. So, and then, yeah, we're trying to get in back in the Mandalorian and watch the season three of that, which I'm struggling a wee bit with. It's still well made and well executed, but
1: uh, like anything, you know, it's maybe lost that freshness after a couple of seasons. Mm, wee bit maybe, maybe. But uh, by the end of that season you're watching, I think you'll be back on. Uh, I think you'll be back on uh, for sure. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it, it finishes finishes strong.
0: Well, that's good. Well, yeah, there's there's t- as always, there's tons of stuff to watch, tons of stuff to catch up on. But that's just what we've been going through. But yeah, you need to watch Tail Lasso. I'll get right. I'll get. I'll get, there. Know, I, I get there. I again. know you're not a sports yeah. ball fan. Yeah, you know, and that's that's fair enough. But it, it genuinely is more about the characters. I think so. Um, but yeah, you know, so. That is sort of TV, movies and covered and all the rest. You know, we're obviously here to chat about comics. I mean, what sort of month was April?
1: Um, For for me, anyway, uh, it seemed like there was plenty going on uh, in April of 2023 from all corners. Um, You know that Jason Aaron's uh, fairly long, four or five year long Avengers run, which included, uh, you know, Avengers 1 million BC and all of that came to an end. And that was a hell of a run. Uh, really enjoyed that. It it started well. It dipped off a wee bit, but then over the last sort of third, uh, maybe even more, it really picked up. It really found its found its voice, you know. So it was never bad, but yeah, uh, it was just a wee bit hard following a store run to to get onto it, you know. Uh, but whenever whenever I I find it, I really find it. Um, Dawn of DC was fairly uh, fairly massive, wasn't it? It's offered us. Uh, in April it offered us Green Arrow number one great which feedback, was great yeah. uh, really interesting uh, is Joshua Williamson on that isn't it Joshua yeah, Williamson and, and Sean Isaac uh, on art really interesting uh, story you know you've got Black Canary and Speedy and uh, you know sorry Arsenal and uh, uh, whoever else uh, Connor Hawk uh, in the search of uh, in search of, of, of the Green Arrow mm-hmm. and uh, he's meanwhile is otherworldly and uh, there seems to be interdimensional hoo-ha going on there but uh really good it's 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 the best kind of uh, the best kind of Ollie uh, so that had a very solid start um, as did another of Marvel's properties which I know is not as you've said your fandom but uh, there was a great debut of you know they've got the 20th Century Fox mm-hmm. properties Predator Alien, Predator, Iliad and so forth uh, Planet of the Apes mm-hmm. uh, kicked off uh, and it was uh, it was brilliant the first issue of it was brilliant you could come at it from I mean the the Planet of the Apes, the original Planet of the Apes movies, um, mm-hmm. and the TV show from the you know the seventies and eighties. Uh, I have, I mean, I have great memories of that TV show. There, there was, there was one of those shows that were nowhere near as many episodes as you remember them being. Yeah, you know, but uh, myself and my brother getting up on a Sunday morning to watch Planet of the Apes once, you know, whatever. Yeah, we got that weird Sunday school thing out of the way that lasted for about three weeks before our parents went. Actually, this isn't for you, is it? I mean, like, no. <laughs> so uh, we used to get up early and watch that and Doctor Who, but Planet of the Apes was just a really good... I've got a really good feel about that, you know. It's uh, But it, the the later Planet of the Apes movies, you know, the more recent trilogy... Ah, uh, the Matt Reeves uh, stuff. Yeah, the Matt Reeves stuff actually clicks in very nicely mm-hmm. with that, and this falls in just sort of in the Matt Reeves movies. Um, so it's very, very solid. You know, it's just as as the, the virus and the retrovirus from the original movies are coming to pass and apes are getting more intelligent and humans are dying off and there's a there's there's a lot of tension about it. It's very, very good. Um Zeb Wells Amazing Spider Man is powering forward for me at least, despite despite taking some and um, for me criticism on the store chat. Um, a lot of people aren't loving it. Uh, you know I, I, I think it's good, solid Spider Man action. You know, it's good solid hard luck Parker yeah, um, but there's some great stuff in there. You know, what did Peter do? Storyline, the storyline that as to how why N.J. has married to this mysterious Paul dude and has two kids, and yeah. what Peter did, uh, we're slowly getting towards what exactly it was that Peter did. And Cold War, Captain America, the crossover between Sentinel Liberty and Symbol, Symbol of Truth, Truth yeah. kicked off nicely with a really strong Alpha issue. And it's very sad news that we heard that uh, Lansing and Kelly are moving on shortly from that book. Um, there were a few other debuts and some conclusions in April, uh, which I think we'll talk a wee bit about. Uh, but uh, books like Star Trek and Star Trek Defiant uh, and Wolverine and X Force are continuing to par forward, and the the current sort of Wolverine X Force soft crossover, mm-hmm. Ben Percy's on both books, um, is absolutely great. Beast Henry McCoy has it's a storyline called Weapons of X where. Henry McCoy, you know, the beast was in charge of X-Force and slowly but surely he has become more and more twisted with the idea of the patriotism of Krakoa and, mm-hmm. and uh, internal security of the island to the point that he no longer feels that the council are doing enough to secure the island. Yeah. And he has gone out on his own, uh, has gone rogue uh, from Krakoa. Gone with rogue. No, no. Rogue's not to do with it. What is to do with it are his council, his own council are clones of himself. Mm-hmm. And his army are clones of Wolverine, and it's it's dark, dark stuff. And also, Stuart and I were talking about this earlier. And Wildcats from DC is really starting to find its feet and feel like the book I wanted it to be. Yeah. Uh, from uh, I think Matthew Rosenberg just gets Grifter. Yeah, yeah, but this it's more than Grifter. Yeah. You know, it's the it's the uh, the internal politics and the machinations uh, of of what's going on Mm -hmm. around Grifter, you know, and the other members of the Wildcats and that. So yeah, so great stuff. Great stuff. It's got a good dose of humour to it as well, which I think is important. Anything else you can think of? uh...
0: Yeah, I mean, the main thing that sticks out for me from April is how massively imbalanced my reading was. I mean, it was (laughs) a big, big, big
1: indie month for me. Yes, there was. Your indies outstripped your Marvel and DC combined. Combined,
0: yeah. I mean, I was on average four DC titles a week and... You know, I actually even had more Marvel titles this month. So, I mean, I suppose part of that is, and we'll we'll talk about this certainly more when we get to May, Dawn of DC really kicked into high gear in mm-hmm. May. Mm-hmm. You know, new Green Lantern series, new Titan series, you know, all these new stuff, uh, the We Are Legends stuff, things like that. Yeah. So it was almost a little softer in uh, in the month of April. So yeah. maybe that was part of it. But yeah, my indie reading was big this month. I mean, yeah. as I lift my you know pile of choices, it's no surprise that, you know, Four out of the five of them are indie picks. Mm -hmm. So yeah, big strong indie month for me. Uh, Again, as you say, there were one or two series coming to a conclusion. Uh, You know, one of my favourite DC series of recent times. I've had previous issues as picks of the month uh, and I'll be talking about the conclusion of that today. Um, Big, big, massive surprise. Now, it's hard to surprise in comics anymore. But I did not see the end of a certain issue coming. Oh, did any of us? Which again, um, we will be getting into.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Let's let's say no more of it. You know, uh-huh. that was that was genuinely a big w- uh-huh. WTF you moment. Had, you had read that before I was. I had did. You like, have you read it yet? Have you read it yet?
0: <laughs> Anybody who I knew was on this title, I was just saying. Have you read it? I need someone to talk to about this. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely get onto that as well. So, yeah, it was it was a really solid month. You know, it's we've talked before about trying to you know focus
1: our pull list a little bit as well I mm. think we averaged about 20 titles a week yep, which yep. is pretty much what we want to be I think we've dropped, we're dropping down if we were to look back at April last year we would probably find that we're, we're being a little more yeah. healthy about our choices I think so I think so and and it's not like we feel
0: like we're missing out on anything I suppose it's just maybe those books that were maybe trundling along and they were alright but maybe it's just we want the Crandall of Crandall I mean again I, I I think you know I was Listening to Mark Miller and Sean Murphy talk about this. This is the the Mark Miller podcast, right? Yeah, which I just bang on about all the time. What's it called? It's called Miller Time. Miller Time. Of course a, it is. Yeah. <laughs> such a derivative title for such a clever guy. Uh-huh. But uh, him and Sean Murphy were talking about how they just collect the creme de la creme of things. So, so they, they, they're not beholden to the whole OCD nature of collecting. Yeah. So say I have a set is, say i have, I don't know, JSA run is five volumes and they know two volumes. So that's absolute quality. Mm-hmm. they're the only two volumes they have in their bookshelf yeah, yeah. they don't whereas I think sometimes we are maybe conditioned to have all five it's like I've got to have them all Yeah. but mm-hmm. I think we're starting to strip that back a little bit now and again just try and focus on quality and there is no shortage of quality in the world of comics at the moment so as I say around 20 a week I think is more than uh, more than representative of, of the uh, of the quality you yeah. know Yeah. so what were your numbers in April? my numbers in April so uh, I had as I said, it was averaging in just over 20 a week. I had 86 titles in total for the month of April, so April was a four-week release month in terms of comics. Uh, only 16 of those were DC. 18 were Marvel, so DC is my least this month. Oof. A whopping 52 indie titles. That's an average of 13 indie titles a week. Mm, and interesting because 52 is a very significant number for dc well there had to be some sort of dc savior (laughs) in there didn't there (laughs) so yeah 52 for me in terms of indie books so 86 in
1: total what about yourself uh i had 81 titles in total so five behind you but you know sitting at around that that 20 20 a month yeah um i don't know if it worked out like that i think it worked out roughly like that uh 14 were dc so i only had two less dc books than you Thirty eight were Marvel, so I had twenty more Marvel books than you. That's all those exiles. And twenty nine <laughs> were indie, so not not quite half of your, you know, maybe what, yeah, about 13, 23 less. Yeah, no, I'd say I had just a big, big really? month for, indie. for I it thought, with indie. Yeah,
0: no, big time. It's just there's so many great creators working on indie books at yeah, the moment. Really I mean, are. when we get into my choices for books this month. Every indie book is from a creator whose work we enjoy within the big two. Right. But doing work obviously within the indie uh thing as well. So, so that being the case, what is your first choice? My first choice is something that you know harkens back to my own childhood. You know, I'm really enjoying getting back into the comics of a James Bond 007. Mm-hmm. Uh and again this means that I'm actually reading and purchasing a dynamite title, which still sits a little bit uneasy with me, but there it is. But yeah, Ian Fleming's James Bond 007 launched this month uh, the six-issue miniseries for King and Country. Mm -hmm. So what's really, really cool about this is that it's a follow-up series to um, a series just called 007. Philip Kennedy Johnson kicked off this series with six issues. It ended on a huge cliffhanger about someone from James's past who was a 00 agent who he thought was dead. Was actually alive, and that's where the series ended. Uh-huh. And what's great about this issue one is it literally picks up directly where that series ended because he was escaping in a car with her, being chased by bad guys. Yeah, so no, it's quite the car. Uh, yeah, and what's great about it is this. Th- this shows that Phil Kennedy Johnson understands the format of James Bond. You kick off with your high energy action scene before you get to the credits and the music, and then you set up where you're going from there. Mm-hmm. So so things kick off with a really, really great um, action scene and then with James passing out and then he wakes up and so- sort of starts to learn the truth. So they're they're basically investigating this really um, dark company called Myrmidon and it's it's one of those ones that has infiltrated multiple levels of the government, multiple levels of um, the infrastructure of Britain and uh, James is basically reneging against this. But where where the book is really cool is it does its whole credit sequence and then, you know, kind of like a James Bond movie does. Yeah, I mean what's cool is it's one of those ones where, you know, the the woman who he has um woman who he has reconnected with who was uh, a a double o herself. I think she was 003, I think off the top of my head. Um she basically says, "Look, all of every double o alive has orders to find us and kill us now." They're so off the grid that uh they they almost retire and you then go to months later and James is sitting in this bar in the middle of England smoking a cigarette, which you shouldn't be doing anyway, uh, just so I should say. but he's got there's, a big, your, there's your public safety announcement from Alan. Yeah, well, more to do with smoking inside a bar. Um, but yeah, no, he's got this big, huge beard. He's slightly out of shape. He doesn't really have a direction in life now because all he's ever known is being a secret agent. You know, he makes small talk with this guy at the bar. So you instantly know it's not going to be... You instantly know that guy's going to come back along the way. But, uh, yeah, he's basically settled into sort of middle-aged life, if you will, uh, in the middle of this uh, English countryside. But, of course, danger is never far away when James Bond is involved, so they make it home from the pub. They can see the the sort of most basic of security systems, i.e. a slight, little sliver yeah. of paper in the door yes. has fallen out, so someone's waiting for them. And who that person turns out to be is the guy who was in the bar with them, and uh, he's the new 002. Does he have a wooden arm? He does not have a wooden no, arm. what no, is that in his arm there? Uh, that is
1: a gun in his arm. No, 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 no. Back a few pages.
0: We go back a yeah, few. what's that? I'm it. Oh, that's to do with a virus. Okay. Right, yeah, yeah. Crayon. it's a virus that myrmidon um, has been injecting into soldiers. Uh-huh. And uh, it makes them into super soldiers. Right. But the thing is, it's starting to then, you know, affect Break people's metabolism right, and okay, stuff like okay. that. But uh, yeah no it's just really really good book it's really fast paced it's got really cool art to it as well um, which is an artist called Giorgio Spalletta uh-huh. I'd say Philip Kennedy Johnson he's clearly a fan of James Bond yep. understands the tropes makes it exciting makes it interesting
1: and uh, we're already as far as two issues in on this run so far and I'm really really enjoying it No, Philip Kennedy Johnson obviously I'm a huge fan uh, his work on Superman his work on The Last God and so forth, but oh, have you had as have you had as much exposure? You weren't on the Last God, were you? Last God was one that I read the first few
0: issues of. And uh-huh. It was one of those ones that uh, you know always falls by the wayside for me because a customer says you don't course, have to have yeah, the first couple yeah, issues. Yeah. So on Superman stuff, you weren't really on there. Superman stuff, I read bits and pieces of. Um, I'm enjoying his. Um, Oh God! What is it he's writing for? He wrote a really good run there in Aliens, which yes, I really enjoyed. Did. Yeah, absolutely. So you're familiar with, with how he works, yeah. 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 And I jo- and, and Joy's uh, work in general. Yeah. He is a he
1: is a writer who, if I see he's writing something, I would certainly give it a go. Yeah, he's a great writer. Uh, absolutely great. Now, I wonder. Would it was funny because I had a conversation about this this week about uh, someone saying, "Oh, you you were you were alive whenever the Smoking Man came in. <laughs> you know, Whatever you could still smoke inside. Yeah, it was only wasn't that long ago. You know, but would. Would that, smoking inside, maybe would that be a deliberate thing to place the issue? or? No, I think it's just James is in that sort of period now where he just doesn't care.
0: I think it's as simple as that. Um, I mean, he's care. drinking scotch at, uh, you know, in the middle of the day and you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. But as you say, maybe it's, he, he does get a slightly dirty look here from the barkeep as he's smoking, you know, that's maybe just a yeah, little yeah, a little that. detail there, but I think, yeah, he's just you know, James has always been a rebel, yeah. anyway. Maybe mm. it's just a wee easy way of
1: doing that, but and uh, and in some in some cases uh, a wee bit of an anachronism. You know, he's uh, never of the time. Yeah, really. You know, so. But yeah, it's also launching with these
0: really cool covers. Joseph Linsner, who's uh, an old school artist, just fully understands the Bond style. It's celebrating seventy years of 007 as well, so it seems a fitting time. But and that clingy dress would tell you it's a dynamite book. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I mean, that's the only thing about reading this in single issues. You're really enjoying this lovely James Bond book. Oh, there's boobs. Van advert. You continue on. Oh, there's Elvira. You know, so it, <laughs> it does ruin the flow a little bit. <laughs> you know, I would say. But no, highly, highly recommended. We're two issues deep now. 007 for Keen and Country from Phil K. Johnson and Giorgio Spalletta. That looks good.
1: That looks really good. Um, so my first pick... Um, was from the second week of April, uh, published April 12th and uh, it is Guardians of the Galaxy 2023 number one Uh, I can't tell you what volume of the Guardians of the Galaxy this is because there have been many of them. A lot Uh, Writers are Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly uh, lately of uh, Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty the uh, Outer Circle storyline soon to be leaving that uh, also of Star Trek and uh, of uh, various other bits and pieces but yeah definitely my my current hot duo uh, art is by Kev Walker the uh, British legend 2000 AD legend uh, no uh, he is he is no uh, stranger to Guardians of the Galaxy I think he drew Guardians whenever uh, DNA were on it mm-hmm. um, the, uh, and the cover artist is the fabulous Margot Chichetto um, so it will be no surprise to you to learn that this one had me from the get go. Uh, you were on this as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, it is Kelly and Lansing, as I say, my current favorite writing duo with legendary British art artist Kev Walker on pencils, doing a sci-fi space western, ala flyer firefly. So that's that is right up my street. So, I mean the the book drops. Uh, it drops readers into the middle of the action in an old. West style town, an old West style town. I say that three times quickly, uh, and you know it. It it lets it, it's a it's a slow burner, a wee bit I suppose in a way because it lets the the Guardians' unique sort of rough and tumble personalities sort of come through. And Star Lord in this, I mean, we talked about Guardians Volume Three in the the intro there, but Star Lord in this is much more is much less. Mm-hmm. the Chris Pratt interpretation as he is more the classic comic book character which is nice to see because there's always that danger that you know whenever a whenever a character is so popular that they always they will, come to yeah, the forefront yeah, exactly yeah. you know so that's not the case he's, he's pessimistic he is like almost a childish sulk but he is always planning he's always thinking of a plan and the others included in the roster are uh Drax the Destroyer, Nebula, Gamora, uh and they all carry on that sort of gruff sort of negativity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you've got characters like Mantis, uh, who uh, who are brought in and she's all energy and variety of tone and is infectious and delightful, <laughs> but she's also loud and obnoxious and cheerful and all underpinned by this plan, you know. Um it's quite serious it's quite serious and again that's sort of similar to some of the older series the dna stuff around annihilation mm-hmm. you know, a big marvel sort of event cosmic event and i as i say it is a slow burner but you know the, the 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 joy comes in the dialogue i think between the characters and you can see how the camaraderie yeah, yeah exactly and that you know that's that's demonstrated uh, you know it, it really is and the the story you know, from the start, you know they're they're trying to assemble these aliens on this planet, this Wild West town on this planet, and get them together and sort of get them evacuated. And there's this there's this threat of oncoming danger, but there's a mystery to the story and there's this this foreboding, and they never truly give away what's happening until the very last part of the issue. And and I don't know about you, but that reveal just made me want to know more. Yeah, what the hell is going on here? And I think you could read this as a as a fan of the movies and not mm-hmm. the comics, and and still enjoy that and want to know more because the characters in here are the characters from the movie. From the movie, yeah, yeah you know, um, Star Lord's. You know, the opening here, uh, you know, has Star Lord as this sort of lone, you know, lone cowboy figure. Uh, <laughs> it's really, it really is something. You know, this this lone cowboy. You know, and uh, he, you know that's that's all kept up until he's back on the ship. The character designs are class, and the art is, as you would expect from Kev Walker, is absolutely hands down brilliant uh, all the way through. It's and those it, lovely it, clean lines. He loves so much. Well, I'm going to argue with you there uh, because there are clean lines, but the line work is phenomenal. Because in some parts it's 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 really chunky, and in other parts it's really fine, as is as is needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a real. A real control of what's uh, of what's going on. So it's a real steampunk vibe to the art as yeah, well. Yeah, there is, there is, and uh, you know, the the art captures and fits the characters' personas perfectly. Their their facial ticks, you know, whenever they look at each other or whenever Star Lord says something, and Gamora sort of sneers or whatever. Uh, and their body language, you know, the way you know Gamora moves from you know a relaxed stance to a combat stance, ready mm-hmm. for action. You know those sorts of things. And and that extends, I think, to the planet and the terrain as well as, as well as the characters. They all have their own unique looks and the mm-hmm. aliens, you know, and that. So, and the the colorists, you know, often often overlooked, and 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 what we do as well. I'm sorry to say, and we apologize. It's Matt Hollingsworth but it's Matt Hollingsworth is a colorist, and I think color in Western, and Wild Western sort of stuff mm-hmm. is really really important, you know, because you need the, grip and the grit and the grime of the old west town that you know has really muted hues you know that's sort of the, the oranges and the yeah. you know that and are really muted but then you also have these fantastic heroes juxtaposed against those muted colours you know so it's it's very it's very cool but I think it's a really important I think those muted colours are a really important part of the the western the western setting so I mean I thought this was a perfect entry point for fans of the comics or the film yeah Thelans which is which can be a hard line to toe sometimes. To jump right back into the action, you know, alongside heroes that they that they recognise. So yeah, if you're looking for roughneck heroes with hearts of gold doing what they do best, Guardians of the Galaxy number one is for you.
0: Very much so. Yeah, I mean that's the thing with Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, they make things very approachable. And as you say, keep it like the Guardians lineup has changed so many times over the years, but I think if you want to bring in new readers, you've got to show a bit of familiarity. So yeah. using the characters that are from the movies, just as the third movie comes out, no less, uh-huh.
1: uh, is, is a very smart move, but it also, it, it, it's not beholden to the movie. Yeah, as a I mean, as a comic fan, and and I mean, to be fair, I mean, I had a passing familiarity with the Guardians of the Galaxy over the years. Mm-hmm. I didn't really get interested in them until the movies came out. Yeah. You know, when Al Young did a great run and the DNA did a great run even before the movies were a thing, you and know. There was the Donny Cates um, run as well. There was the Donny Cates run. Um, but, you know, this, this does a really good job of, of paying tribute to all of those things. You know, it mm-hmm. walks that line. I didn't feel, as a comic fan, I didn't feel betrayed by this being too much like the movies. Yeah. You know, and or and I'm sure vice versa for people who are exclusively movie fans. So
0: Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah no, I really enjoyed it as well. Similar to yourself. I've read a couple of runs over the years, but it's not yep. been... Sort of a characters run that I've massively searched out, so to speak.
1: So. Yeah, I think it's a really good, really good team, really good team of creators. On um, yeah, you know, and, which is uh, why yeah. you
0: follow creators. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, <laughs> number speak, two for you, sir. Speaking of following creators, uh, we mentioned this Tom Taylor guy every so often on here? But uh, yeah, we're moving from the beginning of one uh, title to the end of another as. My second pick this month is Deceased War of the Undead Gods, number eight, which happens to be the last issue of Tom Taylor's magnum opus, I suppose. Uh, You know, we're four or five volumes in at this point, five volumes in total at this point, and this is very much a definitive end for the saga. So, I mean, issue seven, I always find issue eights on an eight, eight issue series have the hardest job because seven always has your big heroic moment, eight deals with the fallout from that. But there's still some some darkness pervading in the universe at this point... Uh, ...in the form of Erebos... Uh, ...who basically represents everything that is dark... ...and is still trying to take over the world. But Damien, who of course is now more grown up... ...Damien is now Batman... He has a plan, because if you're Batman, you have a plan. Mm -hmm. But the plan involves utilizing Cyborg. Cyborg sort of kicked all the the whole deceased universe off. That's
1: right, so he did back in the day. With that
0: mutated virus, it was a technological virus that spread, and he has this plan in place. But as they're coming up with the plan, you know, you you get plenty of that sort of Tom Taylor interplay between characters. You get plenty of that humor in there, for example... You know, at this point in uh, Deceased, even Darkseid is on the side of the heroes because he was being controlled before this and did not take too well to it. But uh, they're they're all talking about their plans for going up against Erebus and uh, Darkseid says Darkseid will face Erebus. So Guy Gardner uh, per, uh, perks up and says, well, here's hoping Erebus's main weakness is Arrogant. Or souls who talk in the third person. <laughs> so uh, Darkseid fires out the Omega beams and uh, even Guy Gardner's like, yeah, this one's on me. Poking fun at front Darkseid was a level of stupid, even I'm self-aware enough to recognise. So, you know, you've got all this humour in the face of adversity, which is kind of Tom Taylor's wheelhouse, I would say. It sort of is, yeah. But, yeah, as I say, they come up with this idea to essentially upload a virus utilising Cyborg. But before you get to where this moment's all going to take place, you've got some really great stuff between the Super Sons who of course are all grown up now. You know, you've got Jonathan Kent, who is now Superman, you've got Damien Wayne, who's now Batman. Uh Jonathan has uh got him a gift, which is the Batman uh costume, but it's in white uh. because it's all about how I thought the personification of darkness could come up against the light knight. Uh you don't have to wear it, and he's like, no no, this feels right. So, you know, you've got all these great character moments. You know, something big's going to happen. You know, there's going to be this big sacrifice. Um, you know, they, they essentially have to go into limbo. So, um, Cyborg is stopping everybody's heart for one minute so that they can enter limbo, but then they have to come back out within a certain amount of time. Um, but of course, this being Batman, he always has a plan and he's the one who's happy to make the sacrifice as well so it it goes into this really heartbreaking type stuff with Damien but it all links back as well it links back to the very first issue there's even throwback dialogue and throwback moments from the first couple of issues of Deceased mm-hmm. um, but yeah I mean not to spoil stuff too much of course we always spoil stuff on here so uh, we should have threw a spoiler one out earlier Absolutely. but uh, yeah you've got basically Damien almost waiting to die so to speak and uh Alfred who of course is now the Spectre is able to essentially put uh Jonathan in the same room as Damien so they can talk and uh
1: you know they have this really nice heart to heart that's really cool uh I mean when I haven't read it just looking over your shoulder there it looks like the uh the relationship between Damien and uh and uh, John, John now, yeah. now really mirrors the relationship between Bruce and Cal. And it's interesting that yeah. Alfred is there in the background as he so often he's was to be relationship It's almost that conduit yeah. between them, exactly. So,
0: you know, obviously at first Damien panics because he's like, You can't be here. I'm the one that's going to sacrifice myself. But, you know, Alfred Specter's able to say, Look, nothing will harm us. Um, you can't save me, uh, Damien says. John says, Yeah, yeah, I get that. I just thought I'd sit here so you're not alone. So there's all this big bond, you know, and Damien's saying, like, if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't have let me go through. He's like, no, I wouldn't. I was right. You were a great Batman. So in his final moments, you know, he's he's hearing those great words. Uh-huh. And you've got Alfred saying, I lost my last son. But this this is the crux of the whole story for me. Um, because I love Damien as a character. I've talked about this loads of times. For me, he's the best Robin. I always say Dick Grayson's a better character, but Damien's the best mm-hmm. Robin, but... Damien was raised to be an assassin He was raised to kill people But he made the conscious choice To follow his father's teachings uh-huh. And not kill and to try and be a hero And that whole crux of that is what Tom Taylor understands So this is, this is in some ways The uh, protracted end to his redemptive saga 100% You know the, the narration here from Alfred is Damien Wayne was born an assassin He was taught to kill He was taught not to care for life But he fought everything he was taught And he saved all life um but yeah, no, it finishes you know beautifully, you know, with you know the bat symbol yeah, amongst uh-huh. the stars yes, uh-huh. and you know, my bats, my sons, my whole universe. You know, again, I, I've talked before on here about how you know anything Alfred related now, just hits home that little bit harder for me. And uh Tom Teller knows how to push those emotional buttons. But I hadn't realized that Alfred was now the Spectre in that. I mean you clearly didn't listen to me when I reviewed issue six then, did you? Um or seven. <laughs> 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 at least I know you're listening to <laughs> well. in fairness Keith's not reading Deceased so uh, maybe this information is uh-huh. You know, I'm, there, probably, I'm probably deliberately tuning out so I can I can read it oh good it. save good uh-huh. save I mean I was going to say you have so much comic knowledge stored in your head that not all of it can stick you know? well that,
1: that we'll take that one too that's you know. a good one
0: too but no Deceased has been a I think it's been a pretty fantastic series the whole way through I thought this, this last volume it started a little bit weaker not necessarily weaker but just there was a familiarity to it but it ended so so strongly and yeah i i know there is a box set coming out with all five books in it i'm sure it'll hit omnibus one day soon as well but you know great alternate universe stuff loads of heart plenty of humor lots of horror to it as well yeah mm-hmm. but uh yeah ended absolutely beautifully brilliant. i thought so this C for they got gods number eight brilliant and uh we're not calling it dc zombies anymore
1: no, no, we call it DC East, <laughs> DC East, DC. Okay,
0: good, good, good stuff. <laughs> so that was my second pick. What is your? Um,
1: second pick? So I'm uh, sticking on the slightly undead, slightly demonic side of things, uh, with Ghost Rider number thirteen from Marvel, uh, published in the first week of April. Uh, writer was the man Benjamin Percy. Uh, penciler was Corey Smith, and the fantastic cover. Was uh, by Bjorn Barens. And it didn't get any more metal. Doesn't get any more metal than this in comics. And I say that having read Arnstor... An and do and <laughs> Um This is a Ghost Rider sporting a version of Wolverine's we- Weapon X mind control getup. Yeah. <laughs> At the behest of a deep black government skunkworks weaponizing demonic power and black magic. I mean, if that's not metal. <laughs> what is and uh, the cover is absolutely phenomenal um, it's it just is so cool and you couple that with the return of Danny Ketch who mm-hmm. was my ghost Rider. he was an angry teen around the time that I was uh, <laughs> and you've got one of April's best books uh, you know one of Marvel's best books of the month for sure um, you're reading Ghost Rider? Oh, absolutely! What a, I find
0: it a modern miracle that Ghost Rider is being published by Marvel at the moment because the book is so metal, <laughs> so horror based, <laughs> yeah. so
1: gory. It's awesome. Yeah, it's so so good. I mean, and, and Ben Percy, the writer, who is also on X Force and is also on Wolverine is firing on all cylinders in this, producing nothing but complete awesomeness since this series kicked off and knocking it up a gear. I think these, yeah. you know, these fight these past few issues. So you have, I mean, Johnny Blaze and Danny Ketch. Johnny Blaze was Ghost Rider. Danny Ketch was the Ghost Rider of the '90s. They are brothers, and 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 their family, you know, uh, as we find out uh, a little more recently. But they've rarely they've rarely seen eye to eye as either Ghost Riders or brothers. And Benjamin Percy understands that all too well, and. What he is doing here is laying the groundwork for what is gonna be a completely epic showdown uh, between the two characters and I don't know whose side I'm on. It's uh, you know, it's uh, it's very, very cool. And we're seeing the story from two sides. We're seeing the story from from Johnny and Talia Warroad's side. Talia is the she's uh, like the CIA sort of magic yeah you know she's the the, who's now entangled uh, with him as well warlock sort of individual who is emotionally into well she's not emotionally entangled he's emotionally entangled (laughs) and we're seeing it from their side as they as they move into the city they're they're uh you know they're they're on a a longer quest you know to to sort of uh follow the trail of of uh of the previous arc and where Mm -hmm. all this darkness is erupting all over america and they found themselves where they're at, and we're also seeing it from Danny's side, why he's got involved with this group. Yeah. Uh, this government group who are who are weaponising them, who are testing them, who are sending them out as a as a demonic weapon. And you know this, as I say this issue just sets up a showdown for the ages. It's a great setup issue. It draws from and adds to the Ghost Rider mythos. It's fantastically matched by the demonically delicious art from the fantastic, brilliant. Corey Smith and um, it's a rare treat for Ketch fans, you know, for for fans of Donny Ketch who are getting who are also in addition to this story are getting one of Marvel's, you know, the the, the nostalgia the, the mini issue yeah. you know series they've been releasing. Well next month we're getting Ghost Rider Danny Ketch, uh which uh, is from the, the creator of the character, Howard Maggie. Um. So and Javier Solteras I think. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, this is, it's a good time to be a Danny Ketch fan. It's a good time uh, to be a Ghost Rider fan in general. Yeah. I mean,
0: was there not a long period there where Ghost Rider runs were being cut down in their prime? Yeah, and I mean, they were getting like seven issues in, and then yeah, just stopped I mean, it's, and...
1: it it happens. I mean, you know, the that that Howard Mac run ran for seventy something issues. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But over uh, recently. You know, there was some Clayton Crane stuff and... And, uh, and uh, Gar- Garth Ennis and whatnot. That they, they were just mini-series, you know. Um, And then the Ed Brisson one was cut down in its prime. And then didn't they bring out like a one-shot to sort of show how that ended? Yeah, yeah, they did. All that kind of stuff. Um, and that. So so this is... I mean, this is just really strong stuff. So it's yeah. it's great to see a Ghost Rider at, at series in 13 issues, you know. And long may it continue, because it's a great story, but Ben Percy at the... At the handlebars, yeah, you know, so
0: yeah, it, it, it's one of the ones that goes towards the top of my pile. You know, I've, I've spoke again about it before, but the likes of this, the likes of Moon Knight, the likes of Daredevil, the sort of more ground level. Obviously, there's supernatural elements, but the more ground level Marvel heroes for me is uh, yeah, because whenever your
1: whenever your soul goes on fire and it burns off the skin and your and your your head's on fire, that's mm-hmm. ground level. Ground level because he's really on a strong.
0: bike. <laughs> okay, the bike is on the ground. <laughs> okay, all right. he's not interested in saving the world
1: it's a demonic fiery chains there exactly kids uh love
0: chains kids love chains
1: kids love chains so and this is where they came from yeah but
0: again I I just find it remarkable that Marvel are printing this book Mm. it's like the creature designs at times the, the the sort of guts and gore storytelling yeah, of it. Yeah. And and nothing is sanitized.
1: Like it's very much an adult. It is, yeah, it absolutely has been, you know, the tries to convey the horror a lot, you know? The the weird sort of body there's a lot of body uh horror. Horror, yeah, you know, the whenever the thing was looking out of the the, the, the crack in Johnny's head. Yeah. And all of that sort of stuff was uh, yeah, it's 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 gone a long way in thirteen issues, you know, from the idyllic town that don johnny apparently lived in with his yeah. wife and kids and uh it's just got yeah and talia Warroad, some of the stuff that she's doing is, is kind of good character yeah as well. very good character so so yeah it's uh it's a great series long may it continue and long may it continue under ben percy indeed indeed so cool ghost rider 13 i mean it had to
0: be a good issue because it was 13 yeah. well absolutely <laughs> you know so. it's be 13 But yeah, we're going to move away from the the big two. You know, obviously, with Deceased from DC, there, with Ghost Rider from Marvel, with Guardians Galaxy from Marvel. Uh, Obviously, this was such a big indie heavy uh, month for me. And this one's by your current crush? This one is by my current crush, yes. Uh, And this this issue that I hold in my hands, I kid you not, this took two and a half years to draw. Wow. So, what I'm talking about here is a series called Ambassadors. This is a new Mark Miller series. Uh, What he's done with this is it's six issues in total. Each issue is drawn by a different artist. Uh, It falls under the Miller label, of course. Uh, The idea behind Ambassadors is that a Korean woman has found a way to make a superhero. She's found the genetic code that can turn someone into a superhero. But she has decided that she's going to open this up to six people in the world. So people essentially have to apply, say, why they're worthy, why they should be a superhero, what their intentions are, that kind of thing. So each issue is set in a different country. What's cool about it is they have ignored America completely. So obviously we're so ingrained in American storytelling, and so this makes a refreshing change. So issue two, for example, is a Brazilian hero. Issue three, which is my pick of the month from this month, this is uh, the French superheroes, uh, which is actually a mother-son team, which is really, really cool. But uh, as I said, there's a different artist for each issue, and basically Mark Miller came up with this idea about three years ago, and he spoke to all of these artists he's, he wanted to work with and said, you're doing one issue, take your time. He regretted those words massively. <laughs> because Travis Charest is the artist on this one, but also Frank Quietly did issue one. It took him three years. <laughs> so these are the things you learn from the Miller Time YouTube channel. But yeah, issue three, as I say, was an absolute standout this month. So uh, this is uh, issue three, as I say, Mark Miller writing Travis Charest on art. And when you start to see the level of detail once you get into this book in the art, you start to understand why this took so long. This is one of the most glorious-looking things you will ever see in a comic book. And basically what Mark Miller said was, I just wanted a series with all my favourite artists.
1: Some of that uh, is fairly... It's not photorealistic, but it is. It's not photograph, but it's photorealistic. Yeah,
0: I mean, the level of
1: detail is insane. Uh, But yeah, so what we're dealing
0: with in this issue is uh, a French mother and son. Uh, which is really interesting because the son kicks off things with uh, pointing the fingers up at the superhero billboard saying fuck the ambassadors and their stupid superhero competition uh-huh. um, because the sign is saying you know this could be you this is the Korean woman who's come up with the uh, come up with this uh, genetic code but what's interesting as well is the mother in this she's always felt inadequate so she uh, is engaged. She was married to, and the son is with a very famous French filmmaker who's always been like top of the game and revered by the world over. And she's always felt inadequate, so she comes up with this idea to try and uh, become a superhero. And what's interesting is they bond over the fact that they both have difficult ex husbands, uh-huh. which I thought was kind of fun. Uh-huh. But and then it goes from there. But what what's interesting about the world Mark Miller's setting up in this? So the sh- the superhero parts that are made. They're shared between each superhero. So, say for example, the one in Brazil is using super speed. That means the one in France can't use super speed. Oh. They have to use something else. So bit it's like of a sh- black, yes. yeah. So it's a shared power system, which means you know you got to be you know tactical. You got to think it through what how you're going to do it and so
1: forth. But uh, this issue, as I say, and, I mean, is there a threat in the world that requires superheroic intervention or not?
0: As of far, it's more of a prevention team rather right, than okay. a reactionary team, if you will. You know, but uh, the, the thing about it is there's not a uh, thread in this, but all of Mark Miller's books are building to Big Game. So Big Game is going to be the big Miller World crossover. Oh, yes. So mm-hmm. this is going to meld together the Ambassadors, the Magic Order, Kick-Ass, Hit-Girl, um, what else, Nemesis. It's basically, if Mark Miller's ever written a book uh, under his Miller World label, they're all colliding in this Wanted. big game. Wanted is another one, yes. So these are all coming, I mean you can see it on the back cover here. Yeah. The crossover event of the summer, uh which kicks off in July. So um essentially these serve as origin stories for each of these characters, you know. Um and having these uber talented artists on it. Olivier Copel does issue four, for example. Oh, um, uh, Magic Order. Who did the Magic yeah. Order, of course. So and yeah, Thor, of course. But what's cool about it as well is, I mean, you can just pick these up as one-shots because each one is a different artist, a different country. It's obviously all part of the same overall thread. Yeah. But at the same time, they read as really, really cool one-shots. And I've been actually collecting them in their second printing format because it's a special edition, i.e. once you get to the end of the issue, you then get all that glorious original art. Oh, lovely, yeah. You know, and you can sort of see why it took as yeah, long as un- it did. Uncolored, yeah, that's... Uh... You know, uncolored and inked. yeah um and then as i say next issue was obviously olivia copwell and so forth so yeah just it's a really cool series i mean i've i've talked about mark miller for years i've always called him the stephen keen of comics i think in terms of a sheer variety of ideas i don't think there's anyone better in comics not every idea is a home run but his sheer imagination and wealth is is unreal Mm. so yeah really really digging this and i just finished off nemesis reloaded as well and it's building the big game I haven't seen something like this in comics before. In indie comics, uh-huh. six, seven titles at once, all building to one big event. Yes, so, uh-huh. um, well, I mean, they're indie comics, but they're all
1: Miller Ward comics. So, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, they they all fall under. They're printed by Image Comics, but uh, yeah, they fall under the Miller Word label. label. Uh, and also, a little interesting tidbit. Do you know what Marvel's biggest selling graphic novel of all time is? Go cool. Civil War. There you are. Also by, by Mark Miller. Yeah. So the things you learn from this YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, highly, highly recommended in general as a series but this issue in particular was a massive standout mm. for me it's just oh, it's just glorious yeah love. I'm
1: sort of on off with uh, with Mark Miller I got what was the the, the King of Spies one King of Spies uh, was great yeah I wonder will that be included yeah there's not a lot to include I suppose up at the end of that but <laughs> but, uh, but Magic Order is phenomenal yeah oh order. really it's, it's great really it's really, really good but uh, yeah order. I've definitely been on again off again uh, with him i'm sorry i missed that no that looks that looks that looks good i mean,
0: sure it'll be hitting trade soon yeah. or as ever you have a friendly neighborhood comic store owner who owns all five issues yes, so far quite so quite he's happy to lend them to you. brilliant brilliant <laughs> well you'll have to introduce me to that guy thanks <laughs> <laughs> so ambassadors number three is my third pick Lovely, from the month. Of April. enlightening
1: and we're sticking with indie. i believe we are sticking with indy we're sticking with image uh, and uh, eight billion genies number eight. I couldn't end on any other number, could up? No, it couldn't. Uh, it was other than the two eight billion. It was published the second week of uh, April, which was a big week. Actually, whenever I look at what what came out, Charles Soul, Charles Soul was the writer. Uh, Ryan Brown was the artist, and Ryan Brown was also the cover artist. Um, this was the finale uh, to the the series. Um, it was the 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 series itself was a I mean, it was a, a a a testimonial of of worldwide wish fulfillment. Yeah, uh, and that you know, it, it, the way it completes its story, you know. So the the gist, I guess, was that uh, on G Day, every person on Earth received a genie that could grant them one wish, and uh, well, once you use your wish, that that was it. was it. Yeah, the wish was over, and we've seen now over the last eight issues, we've seen the first eight seconds, we've seen the first eight minutes, we've seen the first eight hours. First eight days, first eight weeks, first eight months, you know. And uh and this one does a little something a little the last the you know, the first eight years as well. Mm-hmm. And how things changed and how the world was twisted and warped in this in this way by these wishes and by greedy wishes or by impetuous wishes, uh and how some wishes meant nothing in the faith of other wishes, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, and that and of course the crux of it was that uh, was the the lump dump lake tavern lumpwick the lumpwick yeah. tavern uh, where Will, who was the, uh, the proprietor of the tavern, as soon as this happened, he made a wish that anyone who was in the tavern would be safe from the effect of wishes. Yeah, uh, and 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 so it goes, uh, and that wasn't the key, you know. People made some impetuous wishes very early on, and and that, but so this this series completes its story with an exploration of the first eight centuries uh after the the moment eight billion genies appeared on earth and and we'll see how these how these last remaining wishes get used and and we'll also discover the fates of the people who are our core characters who were the the individuals who were in the Lampwick Tavern uh eight centuries ago mm-hmm. at the time whenever we call it G Day whenever G Day happened. But in a huge surprise and a huge twist the story of the next eight centuries actually begins with the story of the last eight centuries. Uh, And we find out how former genie Will, who is now the uh, proprietor of the the Lovenwick Tavern, uh, actually came, he was a former genie, and how he actually came to be on Earth in the first place. He was the genie who granted the last wish in the previous iteration, iteration of the iteration of the world whenever because this is cyclical Yeah, you know uh, so in the previous iteration of the world he was the he was the genie that granted the last wish and he landed on earth in the 12th century and he lives life after life able to change his form to look however he wishes and experiencing the the gamut of everything that human life has to offer which he couldn't experience as a genie as a genie yeah um, and it's it's a kind of a harrowing tale because it's, you know, there's a century where he, he, he acquires great personal power and accidentally inspires the myth of Dracula mm. uh, and, and, by extension, all vampires. He fathers and or mothers thousands of people. He murders thousands more, including being responsible for the Black Plague. Uh, and you know, he experiences you know, the, any, any and all lives uh, in that time. And by the eighteen hundreds he's settled on keeping a keeping a watch on building the first tavern and on watching the human population grow. He's mm-hmm. you know, he's he's a, he's effectively the watcher, you know, yeah. from you know. Um and then some seven hundred years you know, then so that's that's what we see, and then we see then some seven hundred years later mm-hmm. we see Daisy, who was one of the people who were in who was in his bar whenever things first blew up. Uh, you know, in this iteration standing in his door and she was the person who if you remember in the first issue she wasted her wish wishing that her bandmate would be in love with, in love her. with her yeah uh, you know and you know that was that was an issue because obviously will's wish that nobody would be affected by wishes and his bar overruled it mm-hmm. but there was also the issue that her bandmate knew that she had done this and he was going wow you would have it's controlled my destroyed mind. his free will essentially. yeah 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 so so it comes full stir- circle. You know, she wasted her wish at the very, very start, um, she's now using the gift of her experience of seven hundred years to help craft the final wish. Um so yeah, it's 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 very, very cool final issue. So I think Charles Soule has you know, he's a he's a great writer, he's he's Shepherd in the Star Wars universe, you know, in Marvel. Mm-hmm. He's uh you know, he's undiscovered country. Undiscovered you know. He's I a daredevil run yeah, under his belt. Yeah, man, I don't know how much law work this could be doing. Yeah, because that's it. He's a lawyer in <laughs> his uh, day job. You know, he has, he's written this this incredibly imaginative, inventive book that could easily have devolved into absolute nonsense yeah. because people wishing for anything and everything. You know, in some points it did, you know, but that was the point of it's it. It's part of the appeal. Yeah, of it. exactly, you know, and, you know... He probably has more work to do on this issue than any issue previously, but it absolutely flows effortlessly. Ryan Brown is the perfect artist for the series. He brings a cartoonishness without making it silly. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, you know, there's there is a there's just a, there's, a, there's a Scotty Youngness about some of the stuff he does. But if Scotty Young was right was was drawn this, yeah. it would be too much. You know, so there is a cartoonishness. But he also navigates like 800 years of flashbacks of, of Will's, you know, the the former genie's life, mostly through close-up panels that focus on the emotion of the characters and what they're doing, yeah. that, that sort of take you through what, what, what's going on and, you know, being able to depict these epic random changes wrought upon the world by these greedy, impetuous wishes, so... It's uh, it's just absolutely great. I mean, the book, this book, you know, whenever people, you 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 deal as much, if not more, than I do. Mm-hmm. Whenever you meet people who want to get into comics, but they don't want to start with Spider Man or Batman, they're not interested in superheroes. This book would be top of my list. Yeah, uh, you know, with regard to to getting into comics without having to start in superheroes, and you know, if you haven't if you haven't been reading this, I strongly urge you to pick it up and, and trade paperback. Uh, it was absolutely, it was absolutely fantastic. It's a, it's, it's kind of a masterpiece, an under, an understated masterpiece with a really simple message at the end, and that's enjoy what you have, want less, and love more. Yeah, uh, was the impression that I got. It's, it's a message that many need to read in this day and age, I think, and it just so happens to come in the form of a fantastic, beautiful, uh, nippy eight issue comic series. Which is,
0: uh, I believe, coming soon into collected edition. I think yeah. it might be a nice hardcover they're doing of it. Uh, even better for such good tale. But yeah, yeah, no, it, it it's a book that packs an awful lot into eight issues, mm-hmm. to say the least. But it's also got a very definitive structure to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. As you That's say, the eight minutes,
1: you know, you know, it could have devolved an absolute because chaos. It packs, so, it packs so much in. You know, you have the, you know, the 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 idea man. You know, what do you call him? Who had this, the the suit sort of wishes mm-hmm. and. You had superhero stuff, and you had armored samurais, and you had you know people living forever, and you had the sun turning into cheese, and you had all sorts of. Do you remember? It was you know it kinda, that kind of. I was kind and Gromit made that way. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy stuff, you know, and it, you kind of, you know, it, 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 it echoed because when, there's there's people you meet today or people you see on TV, and you know that you go, man, if you had a wish, what? You would be so dangerous. Yeah. you would do something so <laughs> stupid, like you know. So it's, yeah, you meet them every day, like every day. So it's, uh,
0: it's an yeah. interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah, but it's, it's also a book that could have easily been eighty issues long. You know what I mean? And yeah. they, they could have expanded it because of the sheer freedom of. Yeah. What direction you can go in, uh-huh. but I'm glad a, they didn't. Oh, no, that, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It was a very definitive structure, which I think was very, very important. So, yeah, no, great book. I mean, the last issue I think took a wee bit longer to come out, uh-huh. there was a wee bit of a delay on it for whatever reason, but uh,
1: it was well worth it. Oh, yeah, movie. I mean, it's how it's it's the way a last issue should be done, yeah. And it was very, very good, oh, a very big time. Very
0: good. And, it, and it does show as well that not every like. And Lila Star is always one I, I use as an example of this as well. Not every series has to be a 30-issue run, uh-huh. a 60-issue run uh-huh. to actually you know, have a massive impact on you. Uh-huh. And eight issues, this was, was absolutely perfect. Mm. So, but uh, tell me about a series that has had a 30-issue yeah, run Yeah, I so can far. talk about this. <laughs> At long last, let me just pick up my issue here. So, the issue that I mentioned in the intro, talking about a last page that blew my mind. A last page that was that inspired me to say to everyone who was on this title, hurry up and read it. Uh, was this one? So, Philadelphia number thirty. So, Philadelphia, Rodney Barnes, Jason Sean Alexander, both friends of the pod. Both friends of the pod. You can go back and you know check out the podcast staff feed. You'll find interviews with both of them. Exceptionally cool guys really enjoyed both interviews but uh this is a book we've been on since day dot you know we have loved this book from the start uh-huh um you know it was basically pitched as the grittiness of the wire mixed with vampires in philadelphia you know it I was old you know we, we were sold very very early on but this issue was equal parts heartbreaking equal parts on uh. sparring and i mean You know an issue's good when you even have an afterword (laughs) from Rodney Barnes talking about how tough it was. Because the thing is, this does end with a massive last page reveal that will mean something to anybody who's Uh been into comics for a decent length of time. But a majority of this issue is a really, really hard read. Because we're basically going into the history of one of the characters from the book, Seesaw. Who's been at equal points the main villain of the book. He's been a hero in the book he's told the line a little bit between both but the thing about it is we go back to the beginning long before the whole vampire time had than, ended I mean, there at, were, at this stage he's kind of the last
1: vampire isn't he yeah,
0: yeah 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 so this is it so he's I mean you would almost this is the thing see before we got to this issue you and I had speculated Philadelphia was coming to an end mm-hmm. you know the way the, the story plot was going the the way the characters were being whittled down the fact that we were down to like sort of the last remnants of characters who had been through the whole book so, it makes sense that when you get to issue 30 and Seesaw is the last vampire, so to speak, and he thinks he's nearing the end of his life, uh-huh. he has flashbacks uh-huh. to his early life. Yeah. And yeah. it's basically all to do with uh, a friend of his called Raynard, yeah. who was... Um, he basically grew up in the same area. They basically grew up in this sort of rough part of Philadelphia. and But Reynard was a dreamer. He loved getting lost in books. He would, you know... Talk about the virtues of books all the time, you know. Ray was so many of us. Yeah, you know, you yeah. get lost in imagination. He he was just he harmed no one. He was happy listening to his music. He was happy reading his books and saying about how books open your mind. But of course, this being a rough area, if you were smart, you were a target. Yeah, you know. So you know, it, it kicks off with this really cool early scene, which is where you know some of the guys in the hood are playing basketball. They're all angry. They're shouting at each other. They're violent and Seesaw talks about how street dudes, they're predators and what sent catches their attention the most weakness, which is what they think he is for daring to want to expand his mind, uh-huh. so it goes through all that, I mean you've got that running parallel to a story of you know, we talk about crossovers with Mark Miller here's a crossover uh-huh. in the world of Philadelphia, you know, we've now got Nita Hawes coming into it, Nita Hawes of course is from the sister book to this, Nita mm-hmm. Hawes
1: Nightmare Blog, I was, that was a I love that whenever, whenever you had said if you read it yet, and she appeared, and I was like, oh, that's it, you know, because because <laughs> obviously, Nita's come to the city as part of the fight, yeah, you know, and uh, and we've been waiting for the confrontation between her and James Sangster Jr. Yeah. they got a past, they got yeah, a past, got especially a past, yeah. as she turns up while James is going to become a fan
0: <laughs> to another woman. Uh, so you know, you've you've got all your human problems in uh-huh. this, you know, dark horror book, but yeah Nita Hoss, like I always say to people, Philadelphia's is the vampire book. Nita Haws is the demons book yeah uh, but they're all part of the the same shared universe so it's Buffy and angel yeah so you've got that stuff going on but then it, it goes back and forth to you know the stuff with Ray but you know even when these sort of angry you know violent people are approaching him, He's still friendly and he's smiling and saying, nice to meet you. And and Seesaw's trying to protect him from it. I feel like he's a wee bit innocent. Yeah, and it leads to such a heartbreaking moment. I mean, it's a moment where, um, you know, essentially he then gets jumped by the bullies. They steal his book. They set it on fire, setting him on fire. Part of the way as well. They slap him around, call him a little bitch, all this kind of stuff. You know, and it ends in such a horrible way. Per Ray, because after that night, you know he's really sad and mm-hmm. he's hollow. He's not there anymore, and where that leads to, I'll not go into full information. Mm-hmm. But you can sort of understand why Rodney Barnes wrote a letter to back saying yeah. why he so, tackled uh, this yeah. kind of stuff, and it's a, it's a difficult. Uh, and he difficult had something topic, yeah. to say, you know. It's oh, heartbreaking. Yeah, but you go through all of that, and um you then have seesaw at an older point in his life, and he's coming towards the end, and you think that he's about to die, and he's all gone, he basically sort of goes into the afterlife, of the afterlife almost, and he gets to see his friend again, oh no it's a different person no it's Anansi, it's Um, Anansi the spider god for some reason I was thinking it was um, his friend but uh, yeah he he sort of falls into that point and he says like the battle's not over don't worry we're going to introduce you to the baddest motherfucker in the universe, (laughs) to teach your simple ass a lesson, see so allow me to introduce you to, and you turn the page and I'm sorry I'm going to have to spoil this flick a past 10 seconds if you want and motherfucking Spawn turns <laughs> up. Of all the characters you thought might come into this not book, not expecting that it was not Spawn. No. And, but then you start thinking about it. Jason Sean Alexander did a run on Spawn for uh-huh. about thirty issues. Yeah. Um. But it just, it just opened the book up massively for me and. Spawn is a character that Todd McFarlane I think's been very protective of. Yeah, I think that he's only really appeared with what maybe Batman and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's starting to filter into the image books at the moment. I find that really, really interesting, and it'll give it a nice freshness. But the whole issue just encapsulates everything that's amazing about Philadelphia. Yeah. It's got its horror, it's got its action, but it's got its characters, it's got its emotion, it's got its um. It's got its awkward situations to say yeah, the least. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was. This is the end of the arc. Yeah. Um, and it was a, it was a, a, fantastic and fitting end to the arc. Uh, I mean, it had the crossover between this and Nita Hawes, Nightmare Blog, and, uh, and that, you know, that confrontation between her and James would have been enough. Yeah. To make this a great end to the arc, and then you've got the the seesaw storyline. You know, the story of what happened the story of human cruelty and violence and you know how that violence destroyed ray you know and that that would have been enough and this this it does a it does a a huge job of balancing the horror with the authentic examination of the the human side of things and you know the, the 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 issue that we encounter here and it's dealt with soberly and beautifully, and addresses the humanity and the inhumanity of people. You know, and then you know, so it, so it, it's funny because the I mean that's a big moment at the end. That reveal is a big moment, but it doesn't overshadow the story. No, which I think you know? is very important. But, uh, I mean, it could have been that could have been because they could have ended it on there's a there's yeah. a full letter page, which again I'm not going through too much, but it could have ended there. Yeah, it absolutely. It, I mean, it, but I mean, comics can be you know bombastic and action packed, or they can be a wee bit quieter. You know, as, as some of the some of the the ones were, that are coming up we're talking about are, but this was both. This yeah. had that big bombastic reveal while still being beautifully written. I mean, it just shows what a master uh, Rodney Barnes is. Yeah. I mean, I love the little Easter eggs as well. I mean, you, you just see how much,
0: you know, Ray loves pop culture and loves his uh loves disappearing into his worlds i mean he's playing with star wars toys yeah you can see there he's got posters for the thing and Uh masters of the universe and godzilla and then at an especially heartbreaking moment i just noticed this you can actually see
1: a superman the movie poster yeah yeah well that's what i mean ray ray and this is us yeah you know he's the comic reader he's the the movie watcher he's the he's the nerd yeah you know uh you know and there's so there's 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 a reason that that you know uh, you know uh, resonates on a, on a human level you know yeah
0: no big time but uh yeah
1: what a book and 30 issues
0: in it's as it's as good as it's been the whole way through it, yeah, i think yeah so uh i'm very glad it is continuing because as i say we we did get the impression 28 29 it was starting to wind down a bit and uh yeah, I think the book's got a new lease of life. So, yeah, my fourth pick from this month was Philadelphia, number thirty.
1: Yeah, I mean absolutely, and I mean one obviously one important part of the uh, the Philadelphia story is, you know, is is the Black experience. Yeah, and uh, I suppose this next book, the next pick for me, which is also was Image, wasn't it? Deep cuts. Deep cuts is Image. Yeah. Yes. Deep Cuts number one you know also sort of resonates with that because jazz is very much uh, music of black culture you know it's, yeah. uh, it's where it's drawn from uh, this book was the last week of uh, of April uh, and it's written by Joe Clark and Kyle Higgins uh, and the artist is Danilo Beruth um, it was so Deep Cuts is it's kind of a it's a slice of life story that captures I suppose a coming of age of a of a young jazz musician trying to find the world their way in the world with sort of talent and wit and a family legacy mm-hmm. um, to guide them. It, I think this is probably a must read if you're a fan of comics and music. Yeah. So that's me right there, and uh, it, it's one that had me thinking about it for quite a long time afterwards. Uh, for that for that reason, so the 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 issue which is a it's a square bound. It's a square bound issue. Yeah, uh, it's pretty chunky, uh, a little bigger than than most comics. Um, uh, I think um, it's like about the size of an annual you would yeah, get. Through, yeah, you know, or, or, or you know, some of the, the you know the or like the, the Batman one, the bad 800, days yeah. or the eight hundred issues, you know the you know yeah. those sorts of things. It's a it's a square bound job, um, and it follows. It's it's the first of five, and it, this one follows Charles Stewart, who longs to play clarinet alongside his musical hero Jack Cartier and he's followed Jack around various venues in New Orleans sorry let me get the year actually uh, I think it's 1917, it is 1917 um, he's followed Jack around various venues of 1917 New Orleans and he manages to impress Jack with his playing and lands himself a gig only it doesn't work out quite how Charles was hoping Jack just requires him to carry his cornet case, and but soon after that, there's the opportunity for Charles to join up with a local musician known as the Professor, who's a like a mentor character, mm-hmm. but he plays at a brothel, and that, you know, Charles has a has a conservative uh, Baptist, I think, upbringing, and his, I think it's his grandma. You know, so this is you know, if, if she knew that he was playing in a brothel, that would be much against her wishes. Yeah, you know, she's she wants him playing in the church band, you know that sort of thing. But that's not the jazz he wants to play, you know. And so Charles agrees to play in the brothel and uses the performance name of Ace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as the story unfolds, he learns that the music business can be fairly, fairly murky, uh, especially when it comes to chasing after the perfect set. Uh, Danilo not Ruth. the the art in this book is is just lovely it really it captures the vibe and and mood of uh, of 1917 New Orleans I think uh, and the fashion and the fashion and style of it as well and just I mean it's so hard to it's so hard to portray music on the comic page yeah you know they're two different medium but uh, but this does it so well you almost sort of you almost sort of feel it and the first and second uh, issues included, uh, included, uh, you know, yeah, sheet music, sheet music. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's the, the first issue I felt was like a, like a brilliant love letter to the early jazz area, era of, uh, of New Orleans or New Orleans as they call it, uh, as it shows us the path that I guess was walked by many sort of musicians of that time and, and some of the pitfalls they faced and, Continue to face, I guess you know that Ace is is brilliantly realised uh, within the within the story and the relationship that forms between Ace and his hero Jack Carde is brilliantly played out. The the betrayal that happens there and the bond that 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 young Charles, young Ace forms with the the hooker, Detsy, and the the professor, also also known as Albert Hooks. The piano player that uh you know charles works with that really that's that relationship that really sort of stands yeah. out in the in the book and uh there was a moment where where the professor was describing music to charles and and the 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 truism that he, he offers up as he says there's no such thing as the perfect set which is what jack cartier is always pursuing the music is about connecting with other musicians and the people that listen to the music but more than that it's about being it's about being present in the in the moment with the music and that people are sharing that experience with you and that's something that really resonates with me you know the putting on putting on Stendhal festival along with the the folk that i put it on with you know yeah. that's what that's about it's about community and it's about being together and and enjoying music and shared experience, yeah shared experience that's what that's what got me working on music in the first place is the idea of community and shared experience you know and i mean it's great to see kyle higgins being a little more grounded after what he's been doing on radiant black mm-hmm. and uh i'm really looking forward to picking up the other it's four or five issues i can't remember if it's five or six uh of the series and and seeing whether any of the characters from this first book recur you know because i think we're going to be moving through time and through space yeah um i think the second issue is about uh a, a writer of music. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a
0: female writer who wants to write the perfect song yeah, that people yeah, remember yeah, for, a, for. for
1: a for a play. For a Broadway play. Yeah, yeah, Broadway well, New York play. So and I think actually whenever I look back on it, I think Ace is in the background maybe in that. I'm gonna have to re yeah. re look at it. Um but but yeah,
0: you picked this up. I did indeed. Yeah. yeah. I mean I'm the same as you I, I love musical based stuff when it comes to comics. Blue and Green is always one of the ones I jumped to Gunning for Hits yeah Gunning uh, for Hits was another one yeah. <laughs> though Blue and
1: Green it, this is more in common with Blue and Green than yeah
0: very much so it's that jazz world yeah, you know uh-huh. and it's it's all about that fulfilment of potential and being given the right opportunities And there's and there's, like there's a
1: drive in jazz that, that yeah. uh, you don't sometimes see in other genres that you know jazz sort of the, the, the jazz there's something very it. romantic about
0: jazz music I think yeah, as well it's a, a sort of clarity to it I don't know what it is I think music lovers talk about jazz in a way they don't necessarily talk about other genres of
1: music but there's there's something there's something uh jazz is always on the edge of madness i mean uh what was the movie uh whiplash Whiplash. you know that's all jazz you know there's
0: even just saying jazz to me it evokes like an image straight away of like you know a a smoky underground club you know you know players under spotlights but under
1: you know of, yeah, just, yeah it,
0: it has a very romantic it's very romanticised I think
1: yeah I mean I, I spent I used to, whenever I was in Chicago I spent a lot of time in jazz bars and uh, the Green Mill one of the original jazz bars yeah you know, uh, and that sort of stuff so I was friends with a lot of jazz musicians so yeah it's, uh, there's, there's probably an element of that that draws me to this yeah you know so so which, yeah. yeah,
0: I've I've been really enjoying it as well. I'll obviously chatting about issue two there. I've read that as well. So, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, I would be curious to see how sort of interlinked they mm-hmm, are. Mm-hmm. See if it might just be a solid art detail or something yes. on the back. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, cool. That is Deep cut number one Keith's fourth pick, which brings me to my last pick of this month, and it's maybe a bit of a cheat pick, I should say. Why say you that? I say that because it was released in the last week of April, but it wasn't released in the last week of April. So this title has a little bit of a shady start, which is befitting of the title. So what happened was the first issue arrived in comic stores, but we got an email two days before it arrived, saying that Image were not happy with the print quality, to destroy all your copies and new copies would be issued. Right now, the reason for that, now I I looked it up because I read the issue when it came in, even though it was the error recalled version and i was reading it going is there a misprint have, have i missed something all it was and i i can show you it very easily but see the the front cover see the way you can see this here yeah that was all black right so they basically printed the cover too dark and i think tinian right. i've just given away who wrote it uh-huh. uh, i think tinian has the kind of pull where he could go that's not good enough right that okay uh, I'm away to form my own publishing company called Distillery. Otherwise, you may fix it. <laughs> but what I'm talking about is World Tree. Uh, uh,
1: no, just to just to clear your conscience, uh, the official publication date is April 26th. Yeah, but we, released,
0: we received our proper copies. That'll be because that's the digital release, because the cover was corrected instantly. But the paper release was uh, two weeks later. It really was such a simple, stupid little thing, but anyway. Um, but yeah, so World Tree, obviously... You know, we talk about it all the time. We're big fans of creators, following creators on their work. So when a new Utinian title was announced, it was a no-brainer. You know, he's coming off of Nice House on the Lake. He's still writing something that's killing the children. He's writing wind. He tried to get away from DC completely, but then they offered him Sandman. So he's a, <laughs> I tried to get out, but they pulled me back pull me back. In. But World Tree is a new series that is launched with uh, Fernando Blanco. Now, Fernando Blanco is an amazing artist, first of all. Uh was primarily doing backup stories during a Detective Comics event recently. And the artwork on that was amazing. It was called House of Gotham. And therefore, when I found out that he was going to be on this, I got very, very excited. So, um, it being tinny, of course, there's sci-fi tinges to it. And there's horror tinges to it as well. So, the crux of the story is... It's set in 2024, but it's set in the, af- the long aftermath, 25 years after an event, basically. It has a very sort of similar start to something like Die. So in 1999, uh, Gabriel, who's one of our main characters, and his friends discovered the Undernet, a secret architecture to the internet. Uh-huh. Uh, they charted their exploration on a message board called Worldtree, but then they lost control. Someone broke in, um, you know, someone who welcomed the violent hold that the Undernet had on them. So at great personal cost, Gabriel and the others thought they had sealed the internet away for good. But 25 years later, it rears its ugly mm-hmm. head. They were wrong and now they will know the meaning of fear. So, you know, it's called World Tree, but it's spelled W-0-R-L-D-T-R-3-3. You know, it's very tech heavy and it's jargon the whole way through. You have this AI program who's become solid, essentially solid human now, who is basically tracking down all the individual elements Who created the world tree. Now this is a book very quickly you will notice it's for adults because this AI character is fully in the nip the whole way through it. You'd almost think it was a dynamite book. (laughs) But it's not done for titillation or sexualization or anything like that. It's just that's the way the character is but she's essentially going around tracing down everybody who created the world tree. Uh, you've then introduced some family elements to it because there's a character called um, L. He's basically called and told that his brother murdered a whole bunch of people, and his brother is like the most timid person in the world. So he's thinking, what could possibly have happened that he would have went on like this murder rampage? But it all links back to this smoky, late '90s, this hacker sort of yeah, um, collective, collective who didn't realise what they were doing. And, uh, and goes from there. But it's very, very heavy in the exposition the whole way through. Obviously, similar to... It has that nice house in the lake field. to it as well. And the the characters who all created this world tree, once they shut it down, they all went very different ways. One guy got rich and forgot all about it. Drinks himself to sleep every night. One guy became a recluse with a big, heavy beard and doesn't want to see the world, etc., etc. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, they basically get called to the police station because the brother's been arrested and they're like there's no way my brother could have done this but you know he's all under control from this dangerous AI that's been coming up there's just so much horror elements to this and such great artwork the whole way through it that it's you know it, the crux of the story I think is basically about how much of a whole technology has uh-huh. in our lives how it can control us how
1: an online persona can become real in the real world um, so just, uh, a story that is also being differently told than Mosley. A little bit, uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit.
0: This has been told in a much darker way, yeah. to say the least. But yeah, I mean, it was a real. I thought it was a really, really great first issue. It grabs you with the art. It is a heavy read, just a pre warn. There's lots of dialogue, lots of world building, Keith's favorite term, mm-hmm. uh, lots of exposition. But the characters all feel unique as well. It's something I've noticed with Tinian's book is he's a very good writer in terms of loads of characters with different voices yeah yeah nice house in the lake very distinct voices mm-hmm. the whole way through it uh, something that's killing the children is the same and this is very much the same as well so highly recommend jumping on it if you're not on it's only yeah. two issues deep so far uh, do you have the first two in the store I have the first two in the store sweet very cyberpunky, but very sort of dealing with real modern sort of issues I think uh, in an interesting way so uh, yeah World Tree number one that was my slight cheat pick to finish off let's say you are resolved you're absolved absolved yes Uh (laughs) so that is me finished for the month what was your last
1: my final pick Um, if you want to talk about uh, world building and things being a little left of center um, I uh, I think we're uh, I think we're in the right in the right arena here Um, we're uh, we're moving to boom studios and one of your up and coming writers to watch absolutely and one of my up and coming writers to watch one of my one of my hot ones. Um, it was Seasons Have Teeth number one, which was published second week of uh, of April uh, again. That's a, I mean that was a strong strong week. You have three picks from that. Week. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Uh, the writer was Dan Waters. Uh, the artist was Sebastian Cabral, and the cover artist was Christina Kalida. And uh, it's lovely, <clears> lovely <throat> art throughout. Great front cover. And there, sometimes the concept of a thing just grabs you mm-hmm. uh, before you've seen it and this is the case for myself and the first issue of The Seasons Have Teeth uh, paired with the fact that as you say Dan Waters following his Sword of Azrael mini and the one shot and his upcoming Loki book is amongst uh, amongst other things has quickly become one of my writers to watch but some comics are as we talked about earlier on whenever we were talking about Killerevia some comics are bombastic and some are a wee bit more quiet and more deeply mired in introspection and uh, swaddled in metaphor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the seasons of teeth, the seasons have teeth, is is one of those latter kind of comics. Its its central conceit is that the seasons themselves have become physical entities that move across the earth in paths that are seemingly predictable. Uh, from what we read, bringing a certain amount of uh of unavoidable destruction with them, and um, humankind avoids that by simply evacuating the areas until they have moved on. But I mean, Dan Waters doesn't address you know how or even why this is the case, and you find yourself not really asking. No, I don't care. You no. know, well, I care. I'm in- I am interested because I'm invested, but it's not. It's not bothering me that I don't know. It's just it is. Yeah, this is the case you know and the this the story focuses this story in issue one and I think it's a four part issue there are four seasons yeah. in our four part series uh, this focus focuses on the arrival of spring in a town where our central character lives and it's a it's a small it's an English town uh, and I'll be able to tell you that English town is uh, no I can't I can't tell you just off the top of my head but it does look like a a fairly idyllic, fairly idyllic English town. Um, you know, uh, Shrewsbury is it Shrewsbury? Shrewsbury. Somewhere like that. I think uh, that
0: is that where Christian Ward lives. I think he may I have talked about could Shrewsbury. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Anyway,
1: um, our our central character is Andrew Bates. who's a retired conflict photographer. He's widowed and he's still profoundly grieving about that. Andrew is uh, a man who is arguably in the winter mm-hmm. of his life. Whoa, nice. uh, and he wants to see Springs touch uh, another time in his in his town and capture that through his camera, uh, however dangerous that that may be. Now, Sebastian Cabral and Dan Jackson have teamed up to produce art in this book that is just phenomenal. Uh, yeah, it's almost uh, it's almost comparable to would you say maybe. Like marvels, mm, uh, it's got a real mythical camera. lyrical yeah. quality to it. But the it, you think. know, but the you know what I mean is that you know there's the, you know, there's almost a painted quality to the even without the strangeness before the strangeness arrives. Yeah. Um, you know they there's a there's a real flexibility because the art you can see a town, just a normal town, and then you can see, you know. Then the 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 weirdness starts happening as these plants these these really vivid colored purplish and green plants start start growing and tearing apart the town and then there there's that background but then there's also great character design you know because you've got Andrew because you see Andrew you see Andrew flashing back you know to an earlier time with his wife uh, whenever they were kids. you know that, and it, so you see him. You see him throughout time. You know you see him in the current time and, and in a flashback. And the the character designs just really, really fantastic. And that's to say nothing of the designs near the end of the issue, which are almost sort of Lovecraftian. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, you know with the 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 entity that is Spring. Um, you know so. Uh, Dan Jackson. Then you know the colors. Yeah, the colors are just fantastic throughout. They're just again like like Guardians of the Galaxy. They just really mm-hmm. match, uh, you know what you're doing. Uh, each panel, you know, spring is all about growth, and each panel sort of is really bursting with life that that reflects that. Um, you know, as it as it comes to the town, and then you know it turns, it turns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's too much. Uh, you know, but uh, you can you can see the differentiation of the flashbacks from the main story because the flashbacks use this. This green cast, you know, over mm-hmm. all the flashbacks, and of course, spring and green and you know, uh, swamp thing and you know all of that sort of stuff, you know, and it really gives a an ethereal feeling to the, to the uh, to the flashbacks. It's uh, it's pretty cool, and you know, out of the gate, you're thrust into a world that is, is bleak, but is also mesmerizing, and there's 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 a real weight to. To Andrew and his feelings of grief and and his regrets for a for maybe a life not lived or for sorrows, you know, and you really feel it, you know, and uh, you feel it in in both the art and in in the dialogue, the brooding dialogue and the narrative that that uh, Dan Waters writes. Uh, this, you know, because there's a lot of internal narration from from Andrew. Um, it just it just the the writing and the art just mixes really really well, and just there's a feeling of of melancholy that I could nearly I could nearly associate with um, sort of old British TV dramas like I mean I suppose the obvious one would be The Day of the Triffids or mm-hmm. you know those sorts of things oh, yeah. that evoke that that feeling in me because of the colours that are used here and I don't know if that if that's deliberate I mean Dan Waters is a bit younger than me but he's he is British so maybe yeah. he was seeing these things you know and it's there's 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 great great themes you know the there's the arrogant nature of youth both uh you know in the young Andre and his wife and in the young people yeah that hang around the the same um bandstand even as yeah, is even as spring is arriving. arriving yeah the the you know that that yeah that arrogant nature of youth that mortality of yeah you know, fearlessness it's, it's, yeah fearlessness you know the 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 violent nature of of birth and rebirth and the effects of loss and the human spirit. And it just, it's all just brought to life brilliantly by this. I mean, it's a real, there's a real, it's a real fantastical nature of the idea that seasons are personified as, as monsters. Uh, You know, it's uh, so that's what I mean about the, the use of metaphor and uh, to, to absolutely brilliant effect. I just thought it was a, it was a great first issue. Um, And of course at the end, you know, the, the picture that, that Andrew captures of, the first picture of spring close up. Uh yeah, it's just it's, it's phenomenal. That double page spread. Yeah. Of spring kneeling in the park. Uh it's so that's so cool. Such a cool concept, isn't it? What did you reckon? Very, very
0: good. First issue I thought as well. I mean, Dan Waters is someone I, I have an eye on as well. Did a really cool series for image called Coffin Bound. hmm That was very lynchian. Uh-huh. So it was right in my wheelhouse. But yeah, it's just it's a very clever concept that you think how has it not been done before? Mm. You know, manifesting the seasons as monsters, so to speak. Because if you think of the four seasons, they are so very, very different and they do affect the earth in total different ways. Mm-hmm. And they're becoming more and more violent and in all cases. Exactly. And you know, and again, because of the arrogance maybe of the human race, they don't think it's actually affecting them as much as it actually yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, with as you look at sort of weather changing and global warming and, and so on and so forth. But yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting concept to use the seasons as monsters. Yeah, uh, and definitely a great marriage of artist and writer because the art is phenomenal. though. Yeah, yeah, like a book like that, I think it could have come across as hokey. Mm-hmm. Pardon me if the artist wasn't correct for it, but mm-hmm. no, really, really good first issue. I stupidly had to give up my second issue for someone, but I've got another one. On okay, the way. good, good. So it's all good. Um, so yeah, I will be and, uh, back onto that as well.
1: So. And Dan Waters is another guy that we met at Thought Bubble. Yeah, I think uh, we were. A, we were a little drunk at the time. We were. <laughs> we were but in a nice way yes yeah, in a absolutely. nice way I think, I think he may be in
0: but you see you say it's four issues but it should really be five it should be four individual issues and then it should be like the team
1: up issue of all four seasons joining <laughs> to destroy humankind <laughs> yeah. you know? as they used to as they, as they used to say in Whenever I was in Chicago, there's actually two seasons, winter and construction. So maybe they did have construction in there as a season two. And in Northern Ireland, there's usually one season. It's usually
0: winter all year <laughs> <Yeah>. round. So <laughs> yeah. this unseasonable sun we're yeah, having absolutely, at the moment. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, Which Keith can't deal with, so he's a way to speak. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Seasons Have Teeth rounds off a month of April releases and a lot of those releases being April 12th in the mm-hmm. Yeah, strong, uh, strong week. So yeah, so as ever, I mean, uh, obviously a good range of stuff there. There's things that are hitting trade paperbacks soon. There's things that have just kicked off with issue ones, issue twos, that kind of thing. So if anything appeals to or anything's caught your ear, just get in touch. We'll certainly advise the best way we can for how to get into those books. So we are going to leave it there, I think, this evening while the sun is dipping out of the sky. Uh, and I'll let this
1: man get himself ready for his holidays. Well, thank you very much. And uh, in the meantime, should summer manifest as a monster, don't run towards it with a camera. No. And run away from it with a can of Magnus. <laughs> that's a Declan Shelby book waiting to be drawn right there
0: so I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller
1: you can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm a 00 Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast
0: you can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at
1: coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com